I want to start with a question today, and that is, who has hurt you? Uh, I want you to think about throughout your life, and maybe even close your eyes for just a second with me, and think about who, who, hurt, who, who treated you the worst. And sometimes these are things we don't want to think about at all, and, and maybe they're triggering for some people, and I don't mean for it to be that. But, but the people that treated you poorly. And then, I, I think it's important, we're not going to do it right now, but then maybe, maybe after the service, kind of explore how you feel towards those people. We're, we're tackling the Sermon on the Mount this, this year. We, we're on part 16 or 15, something like that. And the, the Sermon on the Mount turn, turns into something that challenges us greatly and consistently. And we're about to tackle the portion on revenge, as you may have guessed from the, from the movie clip from The Count of Monte Cristo. And the character you just saw is Edmond Dantes. And Edmond Dantes was uh, betrayed by a friend and sent to the Chateau d'If, the uh, kind of a, a terrible prison where no one's expected to escape, but he didn't manage his escape and found this, this great treasure. And then, as you saw in the clip, he's plotting how to secure revenge on the people that he hates. He's had plenty of time to cultivate his hatred in prison. And, and I, I won't ruin the movie for you or the story for you if you're unfamiliar with it, but he, he runs the risk of losing everything because of this deep, intense hatred that he allows to percolate and turn into revenge. And it's interesting, I, I, I got to thinking about all the movies about revenge, and man, there's, there's a ton of them. I mean, there are a ton of movies out there where revenge is the main topic. We don't, we don't think about it. We, we, we dub them as action movies or drama mu- movies, but really they're revenge movies. Somebody wrongs someone else and someone else, and, and that original person plans to take them out or hurt them. And the most, per, perhaps the most famous line of any movie ever also is captured in revenge. Who can tell me the line? You killed my father, prepare to die. And, and it's one of, the, one of the most well-known, beloved character arcs of any movie ever. And yet what we find is a guy who wants to run his sword through somebody else. And, and when, when it finally happens, he says, you, you killed my father and curses at him. We cheer. I mean, let's, let's face it. That, that's a moment where we go, yeah, finally the six-fingered man got what he deserved. And, and we kind of get, get pulled into and sucked into the revenge theme instead of maybe contemplating something else that I think Jesus would perhaps want us to complicate, at least in most situations. Hugh Glass, this is, this is uh, Leonardo DiCaprio's first Oscar, and uh, it's a story of a man who was betrayed by his friends, and he seeks his revenge. The whole, the whole movie is about him trying to survive so that he can hurt the people who hurt him. Um, John Wick, what was it that made John Wick so angry? Anybody know? No. Killed his dog, that's right. Killed his dog, and he goes through slaughtering lots and lots of people because his dog was killed. And, and we, we, they call it gun foo. It's kung foo with a gun, and that's what John Wick practices. And, and we, we cheer him on as he slaughters lots and lots of people. You may not know this, but the, the Kill Bill movies, Kill Bill 1 and 2, uh, she is only known as the bride through most of the movies, but at one point in the movie, her name is given, and it's Beatrix Kiddo. And, and the whole thing is she was wrong. She kills a lot of people. She gouges their eyes out. She stabs them. She fillets them. She does all kinds of terrible things to them. And, and, and you'll notice the, some of these movies I'm naming off are some of the most famous movies of all time. They're, I mean, these are some of the most well-known movies in movie history. David Mills, anybody know the, the, the big line from the end of the... And this is not a movie. These, these are not considered endorsements of these movies, by the way. The movie Seven, what's the big line at the end? What's in the box? And if you haven't seen the movie, you don't want to know what's in the box. But the very end of the movie is this confrontation between justice and revenge and which will win. 
and I'm not going to spoil it for you, and I actually don't encourage you to see it. It's, it's pretty, a pretty dark film, but it's, it's this confrontation between actual justice and something good happening versus revenge, which is just kind of arbitrary retribution, and, and this character is confronted with this decision as to which he will enact, and, and uh, it's another revenge movie. This guy, Maximum Decimus Meridius, Maximus Decimus Meridius, this is considered one, of, so, so there's, there's entire forums online dedicated to the greatest quotes of all time, and one of the greatest quotes, that conceivably, is one from him where he confronts his enemy. He says, my name is Maximus Decimus Meridius, commander of the armies of the north, general of the Felix legions, loyal servant to the true emperor, Marcus Aurelius, father to a murdered son, husband to a murdered wife, and I will have my revenge in this life or the next. And we watch the movie and we say, I hope he kills the guy. That's, that's what happens to us as we watch this because he's the hero that we follow from the beginning of the movie and we hope he kills the guy. That's, and when we hear this quote, we, we think, yes, yes, yes. There's something that happens, kind of a bloodlust occurs in us and, and we, we desire to see revenge. And I think Jesus would say we need to check this, that just because all the heroes that we admire in movies and through, through literature and stories and kind of, kind of as a culture, the, the strongest person is the one who can make others hurt sometimes. I think Jesus wants us to check this, and we arrive at that in the Sermon on the Mount when he says, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth, but I tell you. And this is a, this is a, a general theme that you see throughout the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is saying, you have heard it said one thing, and usually that one thing is something about the Judaic law. It's about the religious laws of his time. He says, you've heard it said this, but I tell you. He clarifies. He, 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 he makes it bigger. He, he pulls more out of it than the original text would have, would have contained. And so he says, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth, and I'll tell you. But he, he gets into more a little bit later. But let's, let's explore some of the other things that he said, you've heard it said. He said, you've heard it said, you shall not murder but I tell you, if you're angry with a brother, you need to check yourself. If you call a brother a fool or you curse your brother, so he takes it to the next level. He says, you've heard it said, the law, but I'm telling you there's more to it, that, that God's heart underneath it is bigger than what you've always thought. He said, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery, but I tell you, if you've even looked at a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery in your heart. He says, I tell, I, you've heard it said, if you want to divorce your wife, to give her a certificate of divorce, but I tell you, and then he goes on to, to extrapolate some, some, some lookouts, not laws, but concerns about divorce that we tackled last week. And if, if you didn't get to see that one and, and divorce is an issue in your life or something you think about, I would encourage you to go back to last week and, and watch that. But he says there's more to it than this, that there's, there's faithfulness and fidelity and things like that and you need to be concerned. He says, you have heard it said, but I tell you. And it's a theme that continues. You've heard it said, do not break your oath, but I tell you, let your yes be yes and your no be no and anything else comes from the evil one. And so he just, he just breaks it down every time to say, this is what you've always learned. And in the, in the Judaic law, if you fought somebody and you plucked out their eye, well, the punishment was you had your own eye plucked out. If you fought somebody and you broke their bone, the punishment was your bone was broken. He says, but that's, that's not how it was ever intended to be. That's, that's, God, God never gets excited when somebody has their eye plucked out. Victim or the... Or, or the betrayer, or the, the one causing the pain. This, this isn't something that pleases God. He wants a universe where things are different. And so we have to ask these strange questions about system as required versus system as desired. And so that's what we see in the Sermon on the Mount a lot is Jesus saying, you have heard it said, and then there's these rules. 
there's these laws. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not divorce. Do not break your oath. But then we find out that the system as desired is something completely different, something bigger, and, and in, my, in my opinion, more wholesome. And so as we talk about this, this question of revenge, we, we want to get into the mind of God and say, what is the system as desired? We've also talked uh, last week specifically about literalism versus rhetorical overstatement. Jesus at one point says, you're better off plucking your own eyes out and cutting your own hands off than, than, than entering, and entering life maimed and crippled than you are uh, going to Gehenna, the, the trash, trash pits with, with your hands and your eyes intact. And so he's using rhetorical overstatement. And nobody's, nobody's really clear in the Sermon on the Mount exactly when he's kind of exaggerating and when he's not. And it's, it's something we have to think about. It's something we have to figure out or at least work on. And sometimes you're left with the, the answer, I'm, I'm really not positive. I'm not sure when he's being literal and when he's trying to push something, push the boundaries on something to make us think. But in this passage, he's definitely pushing the boundaries a little bit. We've also talked about look out our law. Are these, are these laws God arbitrarily saying you should always keep your word, you should never divorce, you should, always, you should never lust? Is, he, is, the, is that him setting up laws or is he concerned about the ramifications of these things? And my take through the entire Sermon on the Mount is that he cares for you and so he desires what's best for you and so he tells you warnings. He tells you don't run into, the, there's rocks ahead, don't fall into them. So let's, Let's push this passage a little bit further. You've heard it said that an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you. Then he says this, this, this really, really radical teaching. And if taken at face value, it, man, it leaves us with all kinds of questions about how we're actually supposed to live our life. It says, do not resist an evil person. What? Just that statement alone. If we just take, if we just take that, then that means every atrocity that's ever committed throughout history should have just been allowed. No one should have fought. And so... Is it rhetorical overstatement? Is it literal? Let's continue on and try to figure this out. He says, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks of you. and Do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. So like I said, this brings up tons of questions. For example, home invasion. Let's just, let's just parse it out and and bring up some circumstances. Somebody busts into your home, breaks a window, and comes in guns ablaze in one night. Are you supposed to, and your kids are in the next room, your spouse is in the, in, in the bedroom, are you supposed to walk into the hall and say, oh, you shot me, here, shoot me in the other cheek. I, 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 is, that, is that it? Is it just let them gun you down? And I'm not, I'm not here to answer the, the question necessarily, except to say when Jesus says do not resist an evil person, it brings up some really, really hard questions that, that have a whole lot to do with where our priorities are. What, what, what trumps in the priority list at this moment when something terrible could happen to your children versus you having to go against this law or lookout of Jesus that says, turn the other cheek? What about abuse? I've heard of situations where pastors advised abused ladies to stay in abusive relationships because of two things, and they both happen to be in the Sermon on the Mount. Number one, Abuse is not listed as one of the qualifications for divorce in Jesus' book. Therefore, you married him, you must stay. Two, Jesus said, turn the other cheek. So your best bet is to stay and be gentle and kind and nice and let him hit you. Now, I feel like I have a decent grasp on the character of Jesus and, and kind of what God is like at this point, and I feel like that's just crap advice. I feel like any pastor that says somebody should stay in a physically abusive relationship is 
not worth their salt in some sense. But if we take it as literalism, the pastor is right. So we, ha- we have to figure out how do we interpret these passages? How do we interpret the will of God expressed in these passages? And what about just war? We consider the civil war that was fought, or, or so many different wars, World War I, World War II, many, many different wars we would say had a, had a really righteous cause beneath them. If we want to, we've talked in here quite a bit about slavery and repercussions of slavery. And at some point, some, some people said owning humans is wrong. And some other people said owning humans is right. And we're willing to die for that right. And the other people said, well, we're willing to fight you so that those people can be free. And there's all kinds of comments as to what, what that war was really about. But many of them come back to the root of slavery, humans owning humans. So what do we do with that? What do we do when somebody's, you know, like a tick, they're buried in and willing to fight for something that is atrocious? Is it okay to fight? And again, I don't want to answer all those questions today except to say that this passage brings those questions up. We have to face off with those questions as we tackle these words of Jesus. And I think, I will say this, that I think there's some things that Jesus was not trying to say in this passage. I think there's at least some rhetorical overstatement here. There's a, this quote from, a, I think it's from Animal House. You can see I have a checkered movie past in my, before I really loved Jesus days. But in Animal House, I think it's Kevin Bacon getting a whipping during his fraternal initiation. And he's, every time he gets spanked, he says, thank you, sir, may I have another? And any pastor that would tell a, a woman or a man to stay in a situation that's physically abusive because they're supposed to turn the other cheek, in my, in my opinion, has missed the heart of Jesus behind these comments. This, turn the other cheek was never meant to say stay in there and take a beating for beating's sake. I also don't think that he was saying I can't see you. It doesn't mean we turn a blind eye on injustice. That's, and sometimes fighting injustice requires putting ourselves at risk. And again, I, I don't know the answers as far as military and police action and who should, who should carry concealed weapons and who shouldn't. And and whether if somebody's being robbed, should you intervene physically? If somebody's attacking your wife, do you throw them down on the ground and beat them? What? I, don't, I don't know the answers to all these, except to say that I don't think Jesus was saying, let evil have its way. And sometimes this passage can be taken out of context, and people think, well, you just, just let, let the world go to, go to pot and, and just watch. I don't, I don't think that's what Jesus was saying either. It's, it's super interesting. We attend the Q conference every year. They didn't have it this year, but Q stands for questions. And the questions are everything from... Assisted suicide, is it, is it always immoral or is it sometimes merciful? Really good, really difficult question. What does it mean to be transgender and how should the church respond to transgender people? Uh, medical marijuana use, recreational marijuana use. Is there, is there any reason to think that Christians should indulge in either? These are, they're, they're hard questions. They're, they're questions that, that it, I, I applaud the organization for, for bringing them to the forefront and asking them. But the, of, of all the questions, and a lot of times they'll have two people of, of contrary views sitting on a couch together fielding questions from the audience. And, you know, one person. So, so there was one event that was uh, on the topic of pacifism. And one of, the, one of the people was defending pacifism. And the other one, which was a Texas lawman, uh, was, was defending just action. And it's the only time in the, and I've been there a bunch of years, it's the only time in the entire history of the conference that I've ever experienced where somebody got booed on the platform, and that was the guy defending pacifism. And, and it wasn't, you know, people throwing tomatoes or anything, but it, people were a little irritated because 
when pressed on questions like should cops carry guns and should, should, should you fight to protect your children, he hemmed and hawed and kind of, uh, he, didn't, he, he couldn't actually rationally answer the questions. And so I, I, I think it's important that we talk about not only literalism and, and rhetorical overstatement and system is required versus system is desired and look out our law, but we also parse out what Jesus exactly was trying to address in this. Was he trying to address something civic? Was he trying to address governmental law? Or was he trying to address interpersonal communications and relationships and response? And, and really, ultimately, we don't really know the answer to that except to say that he's throwing something out there that we can kind of broadly apply to a lot of things. But it doesn't necessarily mean that in every particular situation, this is how it has to be. Again, he's, he's trying to show us a way a path, not give us laws. My wife and I visited Dachau. Uh, it's a concentration camp outside of Munich, Germany, a bunch of years ago. And we were on vacation in Europe. We had been to Italy and, and Switzerland. And, and uh, every day had been 80 and sunny. This was one of the strangest, most surreal moments of my life. Every day, 80 and sunny. I mean, it was just beautiful, beautiful weather. We, we went hiking, and we were sweating in our shorts and T-shirts. And we flew to Munich, and we drove to Dachau in a rental car, which was fun, driving on the Autobahn at 115 miles an hour. And Lamborghinis pulling up behind you and skirting past you and flying past was, was a blast. But we arrived at Dachau, and we opened the doors to the car, and the temperature had dropped almost supernaturally, it felt like. It had been mid-80s, sunny, warm. And when we got out of the... So, so it was so cold. It was probably upper 40s low 50s, and we were in shorts and t-shirts, and so we got back in the car and turned the heat on and put on all the clothes we had brought with us for our entire backpacking trip, and I'll just admit it, I put on her pantyhose underneath my pants. That's how cold we were, right? And we went and saw the cow, and the cow, the, it just, somehow, it was just this surreal, dark, gloomy, weird day that occurred. I don't, I don't know how the temperature dropped so dramatically, but it did, and and we, we got to see Dachau under those circumstances, and it, it meant so much more. If it had been sunny and bright, Dachau would have felt a little bit different. But this was an ugly place where horrible, horrible things happened to people. And people in very thin pajamas had to live their lives and cut off their toes because of the frostbite. And we got, we got to experience it from a little bit different perspective because somehow the weather had shifted. And it brings up a question of when, when Allied forces came to liberate these camps, should they have fought the soldiers or not? What is right in, these, in this situation? And it, it brings up a topic called graded absolutism. And we've talked about graded absolutism in here before. It's the question of, if, if I'm in Poland, for example, during World War II, and I'm hiding Jewish people in, under the floorboards of my house, and the SS comes and knocks on my door and says, are you hiding Jews? Now, all of a sudden, I'm confronted with kind of a no-win situation morally. It's called a moral conundrum. I, I can either lie, which we... I think we can honestly say that the God of the Bible desires that people don't kill other people. Like, in God's ideal world, Cain would have never killed Abel. Kingdom, kingdom come, life. And God of the Bible desires that people don't lie to other people, that, that this world would be a place where people tell the truth and you let your yes be yes and your no be no, and this is where graded absolutism comes in, is that sometimes we're, we're greeted with legitimate moral conundrums and, and legitimate moral perplexities, and we have to make a decision between two difficulties, two evils, and, 
In this particular case, with the SS coming and knocking on your door, you're faced with letting them kill the Jews, which we all would agree with is a bad thing, or lying, which we all would agree with is not God's best or God's desire. But I think most of us in that situation would applaud who? The liar, right? Because our absolutism of it's absolutely wrong to lie and it's absolutely wrong to kill or to assist in the killing of, it's graded. It's graded absolutism. And so I think, I think it's important we understand this concept as we continue on with this talk about turning the other cheek and you know, civic law versus per, interpersonal communication and so forth, is that we understand that sometimes it's difficult to know how to handle these situations. And we live in a fallen world where it's, it's, the world, it's not the world is desired. And, in the, and if it's not the world is desired, then we have laws that are required within that, law, within that world. So what does Jesus espouse? In this world where everything's broken and people hate one another and there's violence, and when I, when I said at the beginning of the sermon, who hurt you? Some of you, it's, it's somebody that hurt your feelings somewhat or betrayed you. Or, I'm not, I'm not, and I don't mean to diminish that, but for some of you, you were physically abused. Some of you, people took advantage of you that should have safeguarded you. And, and there's, there's different levels of kind of understandable bitterness that might arrive arise in certain situations. So what, what does Jesus espouse when people hurt you? Whether, whether it's the really, the quote, really bad stuff or the kind of bad stuff or the moderately irritating stuff. And, and I think in all of it, I don't think he's trying to answer the question of do you attack a home invader? I don't think that's what he's trying to do in this passage. What he's trying to say is that we are supposed to be people of radical love. And he just de- demonstrated that on the cross. God, who, who could call down fire from heaven... At any moment, there's this passage where, where his, his, his buddy Peter, he, he's being arrested in the garden right before he goes to the cross. And so, he, so Peter brought a sword with him, and, and he attacks one of the guards and cuts his ear off. And, and most of you know how the story ends. Jesus picks up the ear and sticks it back on the dude and says, go your way. And then he, he says to Peter this. He says, put your sword back in its place. For all who draw the sword will die by the sword. If you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels. This is, this is a, a, a being beyond our understanding as far as power. If he went, he went willingly. He could have escalated the violence. He could have turned the violence into more violence. He could have John Wicked on us. He could have said, you killed my dog, I'm going to kill you and everybody you know and everybody you'll ever know. But that's not what Jesus did. He... he, he, he he literally, not figuratively, but literally turned the other cheek and allowed them to abuse him. That, and that's a different kind of power. That's a different kind of power. So when we talk about, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you, I have a ton of thoughts on it. And, and not all of them are meant to be solid answers as to what you should do in every situation. They're, they're, they're mostly just... Uh, principles that I think Jesus was trying to teach. And I want to start with a game of which one does not belong. And we're going to talk about punishment for a second. So whether it's the, the judicial system or, or whether it's a parent with their children, there are about five or six reasons why one would punish another. And in my opinion, one of those, one of the reasons that we're going to list doesn't belong in the list of a person who is loving towards the other. And, and, and next week, we're going to talk about how Jesus says, love your enemies. And so 
As we look at this list, there's one that doesn't quite fit, and I want to see if you can spot it. Here we go. These are the reasons you might punish someone. Rehabilitation, which is hoping for transformation and change in the person. Incapacitation, which means to remove them in order to safeguard others. So you put someone in prison. They've been incapacitated so they can no longer inflict their crimes on society. Restitution would be you took something was taken from someone, and now we're going to make the person give it back and maybe give it back tenfold to to help them in their trauma or to help them in a situation. There's retribution, which means you caused pain, therefore you will experience pain. And then there's deterrence. And deterrence would be that we have these laws in place and that people are punished so that other people will see them punished in order to, to deter them from, from committing the same crimes. Now, in my opinion, there's one on this list that when we talk about a loving God or loving people, it, feel, it feels different than the rest. Anybody... Want to speak up which one it is? Retribution is different. Retribution is... There, there's, there's no hope in retribution. There's no love expressed, expressed in retribution. It's you hated, therefore you will be hated. You caused pain, therefore you will suffer pain. And I'm not saying that God's law of cause and effect doesn't mean that if you cause pain, you're going to experience pain, because I believe it does. But it's... It's to consciously hope someone hurts because they hurt. In my opinion, you have now escaped the boundaries of love. This is one of the reasons that I gave a good, thorough look on my, my views on eternal conscious torment in hell and what that means for God's character. But I think as you examine this list, retribution doesn't seem to fit in the rest. The rest of them, there's caring involved. There's love involved, rehabilitation, incapacitation, restitution, deterrence. Someone is caring for someone. In retribution... There is no caring. Jesus says, I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them also the other. Which means, this guy is not a hero. I looked it up, and there's, there's a lot of nerds in the world. I looked it up, how many people did John Wick kill? And guess what? It pops up instantly. Somebody's gone through the movies and counted them. In the first one where his dog is killed, he kills 77 people. In John Wick chapter 2, he kills 128 people. And in John Wick chapter 3, Parabellum, he ends up taking out only 94 compared to his earlier 128. So the total number of kills comes to 299, and we just skirt over to kills because we're, we're used to a culture where, like my kid comes in from playing video games and says, I got a head kill today. And I'm like, that's great, son. <laughs> Fantastic. But John Wick is not the hero. John Wick lost his dog, and I'm not even saying he's not fighting for right causes at some point, but I think Jesus would argue that to John Wick out on people is not where things need to go, but we need to be champions of things like de-escalation, gentleness, diplomacy, self-sacrifice, and trust. And when I say trust, I mean putting it in God's hands and letting God sort it out, which doesn't mean inaction. It means that you look to him for answers, and I think most of the time, in many interpersonal situations especially, he's going to say, de-escalate, be gentle, don't fight, don't hurt, don't practice retribution. And I want to ask the question there of gun or granny. I've heard, I've heard stories of even home invasion stuff. And so I'm, I'm, I'm a person, I own firearms and I have them in my home and I, I would be pretty tempted to use them if somebody was going to hurt my kids. But I've heard stories of people breaking, and, and I couldn't find the story this week. I found, I found many other stories, even in secular newscasts, about somebody coming in to rob a convenience store and the person pointing at them and saying, no, in the name of Jesus Christ, 
you will not rob me. You will leave my store right now. And the burglar going, oh, okay, and just vanishing. And, and I, I heard one story that I couldn't find again. This was on the news years ago about a, a, an older woman who someone broke into her home and demanded her money. And she said, well, I'm not going to give you my money, but I'm going to pray for you, son, in the name of Jesus, and let's have a meal. And she, she ended up cooking the, the, the guy that broke into her home eggs and them sitting down for eggs, and he just sobbed because he was so brokenhearted about what he was doing. And, and I'm not saying that's always the answer, but I'm saying God is big, and God is really powerful, and God's principles are, are true. And so don't let reaching for the gun be the first impulse. Don't assume war is right. War is never right. War should only come after diplomacy has failed, after reaching out to the other and establishing relationships has failed. I think Jesus would say, Granny wins in this situation. And there's probably a granny situation in most situations, I think, I think Jesus would say. He's, he's much bigger than we think he is. He says, if anyone can sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go to my, one mile, go with them two miles. To the one who asks you, do not turn away. And from the one who wants to borrow from you. And so I want to encourage you to be this lady. And I don't, I don't know if she's selling these, these uh, herbs, it looks like to me or not. But she looks like she's pretty happy about giving a generous portion. And I think Jesus would say, kill them with kindness. Let's turn to Romans chapter 12. If you would, grab your Bible or your mobile devices. And we're going to read this and close real quick. Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 9, it says, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need and practice hospitality. And then he gets down to brass tacks. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, it says, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Two points on this is one, love must be sincere. You don't treat someone loving to get something out of them. That's not sincere love. You practice Real love. And then in this passage, it says, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And we, we, then we get this picture of Jesus as John Wick slaughtering all the infidels. We think, well, I'm not going to extract revenge, but God better f- burn their flesh on Judgment Day. That's, that's where our hearts go. And this, this Greek word, ekdiasis, is an interesting word where it talks about vengeance. And it says, Judge. Ecdiasis is this, judgment which fully executes the core values or standards of the particular judge, i.e. extending from the inner person of the judge to its outcome. So this vengeance that is God's is tied up in his core values. And what would we say the number one core value of God is? Love. And let's find out what 
1 Corinthians says about love. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. So we don't even get out of jail when we think, well, I'll just leave it to God to burn the infidels. That's just not God's heart or character. The core value of God's, that's, that God's revenge or his vengeance or ecdiasis is, is founded on is this love that always hopes, always perseveres, always desires what's best for the other. And so that, if, if the spirit of Jesus fills us and the spirit of Jesus changes us and shapes us, when we go back to that list of who hurt me, is there hope and trust and perseverance looking out for what's best of the other? Do you, or do you wish retribution on them? Do you hope something bad happens to them? And that's what I think Jesus is warning us again. A good friend of mine this week said, God wants to accomplish something in both people involved. You and the one that caused your pain. How can a belligerent person be shown the love of God unless he sees a willingness as an adversary to show undeserved love and mercy towards him? So when we consider this question of who, I want to I twist it just a little bit. The person that hurt you or the people that hurt you or the people who betrayed you or the people that ignored you or whatever it was, allow God to shape your heart and your mind towards them to where you genuinely hope for the best for them. And the best for them would be that they would be transformed as well, that they would come to know Jesus and follow him and the kingdom of God would invade their lives. But I also want to challenge you with this question. If I was to ask the entire world the question of who hurt them, whose list would you be on? Maybe somewhere out there is somebody who says, that person hurt me badly. And maybe you're aware of that. And, and as my friend said, God wants to do something in both people's lives, the hurt and the hurter, the one, the one who did the hurting. And I want you to challenge yourself. And so, so as we go away from this sermon, I'm going to close in prayer. I want to encourage you today to ask that question of who, who is it that I was hurt by and who is it that I was hurt? And then ask God the question, what do I do with this? And allow him, take some time to think and approach God and ask him and he'll show you. He'll, he'll, he'll reveal something in your heart and he may even reveal actions to you, the steps that you ought to take.